The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... But this was the result of diabetic ketoacidosis, which if anyone doesn't know what that means, it's basically high blood sugar, super, super high blood sugars. I think mine was over 900 both times that I went into the hospital. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulin Podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of the Insulone Podcast, 109 episodes. It's crazy to think that I've done 109 episodes and you have listened to 109 episodes. Well, you might not have yet, but you've 109 to listen to. So if you haven't listened to all 109 episodes, make sure you go back and catch up with them because we have some unbelievable guests and today is no different. Today, I was chatting with Mr. Alex Burkett from the USA, and Alex was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 10. And we initially made contact about two years ago, but close enough to the start of the first lockdown. And I was on Alex's podcast talking all about diabetes and life and the challenges that can arise living your life with type 1 diabetes. And Alex's podcast is called the Rise to the Challenge podcast. So we're going to be talking a lot about that today. Alex has a great energy about him. He really knows his stuff. And he talks us through his pretty intense diagnosis story. And he outlines the challenges that he has faced and continues to face to a certain extent throughout his diabetic years and up to this point too. So he highlights the incidents that led him towards making permanent changes to how he manages his diabetes because admittedly he was never as he says always a a good diabetic as he put it and he went through a number of difficult and rebellious years towards his diabetes management so I appreciate his honesty throughout this episode you're gonna love it too he really knows his stuff and I know you're gonna get a lot from it so I'll let Alex tell you all about that. Here is me and Alex's chat. We've spoken before, obviously, and I was really looking forward to this conversation because we go back and forth on Instagram a good bit. We go back and forth through email a good bit too. So it's good to finally have you on and 
have another proper conversation because it was how long ago now I think was like I on your podcast? A, a year and a half. I think it was like January of 2021. Feels like a lifetime ago. Doesn't I know it? it feels like a long time because I was going <laughs> back time. to the interview and I was like, it just feels like it's so recently. But since then, we've just stayed connected and stuff. And it's been so much fun. I think I, I vaguely remember when I was on your podcast, I think it was it winter time in Ireland, because I have this this memory of me being absolutely freezing while I was while I was recording the podcast for you. But maybe that that's just a strange memory. I'm not quite sure. Well, no, you were in jacket. You were like in it looked like you were in a heavy coat. Like that's from probably what it was. From my from the video point. And I think I remember you saying <laughs> something about you were cold. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty standard being quite cold over here, unfortunately. But ironically, right now it's actually a beautiful day in Ireland. So hopefully, fingers crossed it stays this way. I hope so. I mean, it's like 45 degrees here in Missouri in the United States, but it'll probably go up to like 70 knowing us. Mm. It'll just jump up in temperatures. So just to give a bit of context here, as I said to Alex before we press record, I usually like to have a bit of a conversation with any guest that I have on the podcast before we press record. But the second Alex came online, as I said to him just now, he started hitting me with the good stuff about diabetes and the impact. So I was like, Do you know what, Alex, pause, pause, pause. <laughs> Let me just press record. So that's why I press record. So Alex, let us know what has happened for you this morning. Something has happened. So lately, I've been trying to get better with diabetes and kind of making sure that throughout the night, it has been a trouble and a past that and where sometimes I wake up and I don't know where I'm at. And I actually had that moment. Um, I'm a podcast host like Owen is. And I had an interview this morning and it was at 9 a.m. Everything scheduled. I had everything prepped, ready to go. So all I had to do was wake up, press the power button, everything would start. And I didn't wake up at that time. I look at my phone and it's 1030 and I didn't get any messages. Um, my girlfriend, my parents were all texting me like, where are you? You're not up. You're not responding. Things like that. And I had no idea where I was. I woke up. Luckily, I was in my house and I'm like freaking out and stuff. And I go downstairs and I had a low blood sugar of 30. Oh, I know it's different oh, in conversions God. of different areas, but 30 put, is really, really yeah. low. And to put that into perspective for anybody listening who uses milligram per, or sorry, uh, millimole per deciliter, that is 1.6. So that is super low. Yes. And there's times where if I get that low, my mind is blanked. I sometimes don't know where I'm at. I don't know who I am as a person and it worries me sometimes because it could go even lower and I woke up, got everything ready to go and luckily I knew that I was like, I'm going on Owen's show. I got to make sure I'm ready to go and so I'm just glucose tablets like crazy and now I feel much better and it's just, it's crazy how quickly your body can change and how your mindset is from a 30 low blood sugar to if it's a regular 90. It's just so quickly how you can change and how your body reacts to those things. And I don't know if any other diabetics that are listening have gone through that experience, but 
lately it's been it's come about a lot more and it sometimes I've had like many strokes and things like that through these low blood sugar symptoms. So it's just it's crazy that it happens right before this call and but it shows how diabetics we're not all perfect, but we're all able to learn from each other and kind of adapt on the fly. So was that, Alex, you had you woken up because of that low or did you wake up because it was your time to wake up? I know you said you slept through the alarm, but did you have like a sensor alarm going off or or how did you actually wake up? You know, that's a good question. Um, usually if I have low blood sugar, it usually wakes me up right away. Um, but sometimes like my alarm didn't go off and my alarm, my phone is like right next to my bed. So if I heard it, it's going to wake me up and nothing woke me up. And I think it was just the sun coming through my window kind of like got me up and going. And it's like 1030 p.m. a.m. here in the States. And I'm thinking, this is weird. I should be up already. So I don't know. I, d- I think it was probably just the time got me up, not really the blood sugar, which sometimes the blood sugar gets me up and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I don't know if that's how my body is reacting or it's so used to it, but that's not a good thing if it's not if it's used to, oh, low blood sugars, it's not waking me up, things like that. Well, that's where obviously the issues kind of rise when well, if potentially you become desensitized or less aware of the feelings of hypos, you yeah. can you can drop a lot lower without even realizing that you're dropping and potentially, as we both know, can be very dangerous. So how do you feel right now? Do you feel refreshed? Do you feel recharged? Do you feel normal? Oh, yeah. I'm like, I could go run a mile right now. <laughs> yeah. Not saying I'm going to because I do not like to run, but I, I feel so much better. And it's like, it's crazy that in the span of 30 minutes, how our bodies can change in like the way from a low blood sugar to a regular blood sugar. It's, it's, it's amazing the, the science behind it. I still will never understand it. <laughs> As, absolutely. And it's funny because me and Graham were only talking about late night low blood sugars on one of the last episodes that we did. And I was kind of going through how I would describe them to somebody who doesn't live with type of, type 1 diabetes and somebody who has never experienced the feeling of a hypo. But I'm curious to know, Alex, how would you describe the hypo that you had today to somebody who has never had a hypo before? I think it's one of those and not saying that I've gone through this experience, but it's kind of like you're in a portal in a way you kind of just, your body goes into a different dimension and you're like, where am I? Like, what am I supposed to do? And I know it sounds crazy that I'm saying it sounds like that, but you wake up and you're like defeated, low energy. If I'm like been doing a lot of stuff and my blood sugar hits low, I feel that I'm going to crash. Like I'm going to be knocked out, low energy, things like that. But when it's the middle of the night, you kind of just feel like, am I here right now? Am I in my house? So I know it sounds crazy, but it's I've had to explain it to like my family and friends and they just can't believe it. They they have a hard time understanding it because they're not in my shoes. So I try to explain it to them as easily as possible. But I think when you're talking to them, 
you just have to tell them as much as you can so that any indication they're curious or they're questioning in a good way. Like, are you okay? Are things all right? I rather have my friends and family ask me all the questions than not ask anything at all. Because I think it helps with us as diabetics where anyone can play a part in helping out and they can be involved. So I always tell them as much as I can. They might not understand it, but when they kind of hear me talk about it, and I'll tell you this story. Um, a couple years ago, I was in a different city living and it was eight o'clock in the morning and I was supposed to go to work and I'm making all these phone calls um, for work. And my boss called me and she goes, did you make all these phone calls? And I go, I don't even remember one single conversation I had with my employees. And they were saying, you're telling them to go do this and that. And it was perfect. And I couldn't even remember anything. And my boss ended up like recording me on her side because she thought I was doing drugs. She thought I was drinking. And this was on a Monday. So Sunday was the day before. And everyone that knows me, I don't do any of that. If it's drinking, I do it socially, but I rarely do that. And it kind of, and then they were recording me and they ended up coming to my house. And then I ended up in the hospital because they thought I had a a mini stroke or an aneurysm. And so it's just crazy that when we talk about knowing what other people are thinking that we're going through, it's, they're all thinking different things. So it's one, it's scary. Like I would say. It's obviously very important for the people around us to understand the potential danger, particularly around low blood sugars and how to treat them. Because look, we never know when that could potentially save our life. Yep. But going back to what you were saying there, Alex, about that day in work, like a Monday morning, your your boss thought you were either drinking or on drugs, but you had obviously done a good job and you had obviously done what you were supposed to do, but you had absolutely no recollection of it. Correct. So was that you essentially functioning as normal, but just with a really low blood sugar and you not having, um, you almost not even feeling conscious? I think so. I think it's just the mental mind games, I guess I was playing in my head. Like Alex is here working, but I don't remember anything I do because I've had those experiences where I'm at like events and stuff and low blood sugar. My mind just starts going and working, working, working. But my body is telling me I need to stop and like take care of this. So it's kind of like, I don't even, it's, I wish I could remember like exactly what I was talking to about, but I, I couldn't even tell you who I was talking to now. Like Mm. that's, it's the crazy, it's so crazy that it, I don't remember anything from it. That's nuts because, and and look, I know exactly what you mean in terms of how you just, you describe it to be as if you're kind of like in a portal or you're in a different universe. And I know exactly what you mean by that, but it's so difficult to even comprehend the idea of functioning as normal in work with a low blood sugar because I know if I have a low blood sugar I'm just on a different planet and it's like you need to get glucose into you right now and nothing else matters and if I was to have a conversation I wouldn't even be able to put 
words together. Now, obviously, depending on how low I was, but it's it's fascinating to me to know that you were making these phone calls and obviously doing a really good job as you would normally, despite being sounds like severely low. Well, you even mentioned like having that conversation and sometimes like my mom, she'll if she knows I'm low, usually I start slurring my words and I kind of like put a bunch of sentences together and I could be perfectly fine, but she kind of has that kind of mindset or she can hear something going on. And she's always like, are you okay? Like, are you have low blood sugar? And to me, I'm fine because I feel like I'm having that conversation. But then again, it goes back to people that are not used to it. They kind of hear something different. And to me, it's fine if she asks me because maybe I I feel fine, but maybe my blood sugar is low and maybe my body's acting differently. So it's interesting that you mentioned the whole conversation because I actually found out that a coworker of mine actually is a diabetic and didn't even know at the time. And he was the person that I actually ended up being on that phone call with um, that day. And he was mentioning something and I go, are you a diabetic? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, so he now understands what I'm going through. And it's just crazy. It's like out of nowhere, we found this out. And it's just that instant connection then when you know yeah. a diabetic. And it's funny again, because we were only talking about this on, on a recent podcast about how if and when you ever meet another type one diabetic out in the wild, it's almost like you just have that instant connection because you both immediately understand the ups and the downs physically and mentally of the condition, which is a, it's a nice thing when you meet somebody new, I think. Yes, I, I totally agree with that, especially with us when we connected almost two years ago and we understand what we've gone through. And especially if you look at your story and my story, you were much older than I was when I got diagnosed. I was 10 at the time. And but it's just crazy the different paths we've taken, but we've gone through similar journeys at different stages of our lives. But for us, we're able to connect and learn from each other. And it helps other people when they are hearing our stories, especially like parents, because we both have, have parents that they didn't understand it at first, and we're teaching them at the same time. So I love connecting with other diabetics because everyone's story is different, but there's always something that you can find that you can always relate and connect to because almost every diabetic has gone through something similar in a way with low blood sugars, high blood sugars. Um, I can't diabetic ketoacidosis, things like that. Yeah. It's always interesting to me when I think about all, all the different types of people that I've met over the years who are living with type one diabetes and they may be different ages different genders from different countries, have different jobs, different families, just completely different lives. But I always yeah. find it fascinating to know that we always come back to the same place. And yeah. what I mean by that is like, I could do a podcast during the day, somebody else could be doing a big meeting and work or traveling the world or whatever it is. But the fundamentals to our day are exactly the same. Yeah, And that is checking blood sugar, taking insulin, managing our blood sugar the best that we can. And it's almost like 
an anchor that kind of it's hard to it's actually hard to describe i have this idea in my head of how <laughs> we all we all come back to that same place like no matter who we are or what we do or where we're from before we put our head on the pillow we check our blood sugar yeah no matter where what day time of the day lunch we're all checking our blood sugars we're all doing doses of insulin so we all have that similar kind of schedule in a way might be at different times but it's still Mm. the same no matter what our schedules and lifestyles are your podcast alex is all about chatting to people who have experienced experienced various challenges in their life and they outline them and they then go into detail about how they overcome those challenges and I love the podcast. It was a pleasure to be honest and connect with you initially that way. But what I want to do is I want to put you on the other side of those sort of questions that you would ask. And I want to know more about the sort of challenges that you have faced personally throughout your life. And I think the one that for me and knowing a bit about your story started at all was when you were 10 years old and you went into hospital basically with bacterial meningitis and coming out with type 1 diabetes. Tell me about that. Yes. So this was sixth grade for me. And I always have to put this in perspective where the biggest trip for sixth grade is sixth grade camp. I don't know if other people that are listening have gone through that, but we are about three weeks out from it. And all of a sudden, I wake up in the middle of the night, getting ready for school. And I walk down the steps and my left eye was swollen shut and my left side of my face is drooping and everything. And my mom would like, she would see me try to drink water and I would drink it. And then the water would just come out on the left side of my mouth. Like it didn't even go down my throat. It would just come right out. And we ended up going to the doctor and she looked one second at me and she goes, you need to go to the hospital. And my mom and I were like, what's going on? And she goes, we'll send everything to the hospital. Um, just head there. So we go there and I get, um, um, I don't even know the word, not discharge, um, inpatient um, with bacterial meningitis. And so they had to put a 30 millimeter um, pipe in my left arm. And I actually have the scar from it from all those years ago. But they had to put these like balloon liquids um basically it looked like i was holding like a a water balloon in my hand while the medicine's going inside me but it was going into my spine and everything so i'm in the hospital for a week and then all of a sudden they come and say oh yeah you're also a type 1 diabetic and i'm like what what does this mean because you hear the commercials all the time like the diabetic commercials, and you think, oh, I don't have to deal with that. Well, now reality has changed, and now I have to deal with that, and I have to listen and be more informed with everything that's going on with it. And that added another week of being in the hospital. And But the only thing I worried about was I wanted to go to sixth grade camp because it was outdoors. It was the biggest thing that um, everyone was looking forward to. And so I was doing anything I can to learn. So They wouldn't let us leave the hospital until I was educated on everything about being a diabetic. My parents had to be educated. Um, I had to be educated. I had to know how to do it if it was by myself. 
Uh, my parents had to do it if I was knocked out or unconscious, things like that. So you take that stress of going into the hospital with bacterial meningitis, and that took about a month before I was cured of it. And then adding even more stress because of a diabetic and now a change in lifestyle. And I don't know if any diabetics, but I, my mom loves when I tell her stories. I used to drink Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, all the sugar, everything before. And now it's like, okay, I can't have that anymore. And that's the part that was hard because basically I'm changing my whole lifestyle. And it was stressful for that first month. And then, but luckily I was making that mission to go to that sixth grade camp and I ended up going and my teacher was communicating with my parents at the time during that time and everything went smoothly. Like they were like, oh, he's doing fine and stuff. So it was a lot of stress. And I look back now, 16 years later, I've been on this journey and it's been a roller coaster of a ride. So what's going through your head then, Alex, as a 10-year-old being rushed into hospital unexpectedly because of bacterial meningitis? And then you're also hit with the fact that you've just been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and you don't necessarily understand what either of those things are. So what's going through your head? I I think during that time when you're just at that age, I think it's just you're just supposed to just enjoy life. Like you shouldn't have those like stressful moments. And I think I was thinking like, am I still going to be the same Alex? Like, is anything really going to change? But I think at that time I was that rebellious diabetic, like, oh, I'm going to try and see if I can still be the normal Alex, but oh, I got to do this also. And I think that took a hit on me over time because of that rebellious mindset that I had. But I think I knew that I'm going to have to learn. Um, This is my life now. Um, I know there's no cure, even at that time. I mean, now we hear things that are happening. But at that time, there was no talks about any of that. So I knew the lifestyle was going to have to change. And it's a team effort. Like, when you're 10, you're not living on your own. You have your parents with you. So you have to all work together because... Like we were talking about earlier, like one blood sugar point makes a huge difference on how I act, my attitude, my mindset, my energy level. Mm -hmm. So it was like a 10-year-old responsibility, like he was acting like he's a 21-year-old living on his own now. You said that you were kind of worried about becoming a different type of Alex after your diagnosis because it's obviously such a massive lifestyle change. Yes. And you explained how you kind of went through a bit of a rebellious period, kind of fighting against it to a certain extent. Was there a standout moment or incident that led you to think, whoa, I really need to pay attention to this thing? So there's two moments um, that stick out into my head when it comes to this. I was, I think it was in high school. And during spring break, I ended up in the two different hospitals during my spring break. And, you know, 
you definitely want to be in a hospital during your spring break, especially twice, um, <laughs> your days off. Um, but this was the result of diabetic ketoacidosis, which if anyone doesn't know what that means, it's basically high blood sugar, super, super high blood sugars. I think mine was over 900 both times that I went Ooh. into the hospital. And again, sorry to cut you off, Alex. I just want to put that into perspective for anybody else who uses millimole like myself. So 900 divided by 18, so that's 50 millimoles. Yeah. That is, it, that's higher than I was when I was initially diagnosed. That's unbelievable. I think, yeah, that was higher than me. I think when I got diagnosed, it was 700 or 800. But when you look at your monitor, uh, your blood glucose monitor, all it says is high. It doesn't give you an actual number for me. Anything that was at that time, the freestyle, it was over 400. It would just say HI. So you had no idea what the number was. Um, and I went into one hospital and they were able to get it under control. And then I went back into the hospital because they said something in my levels was off. And I was right back into a different hospital trying to get it under control. And I knew that was the step that needed to be changed and things like that. This wasn't at the time where I was wearing a pump. I was still doing the manual injections and things like that. But I knew I had to make the change. But my schedule, my lifestyle, just trying to get it under control and stuff was hard for me because you feel like you're doing it. And then if it doesn't work out, you just want to give up. And I've had those moments where I felt like I give up, like I can't do this. Not in like, um, like in a mindset, but like I need, I can't get this under control and things like that kind of like giving up. Um, but then recently, um, right before we actually met, I knew that I needed to change health wise and fitness, health, blood sugars. Um, A1C was high. Um, I don't know. Mine was, I think, 13 at the time. I don't know how it's calculated for you guys um, with A1Cs. It would be the same here, yeah. Okay. So mine was super high, and they always say it should be around 6 to 7. And in a two-year span, I went from 13 to 7. And it was all in diet, health, fitness. I've lost 50 pounds um, since then. And I have never felt better in my diabetic journey than I am right now. And I look back and it, it, you're almost like, did it really take me 16 years to get there? But I always say that each of those roller, when you're on a roller coaster and you're going up and down those hills, you get excited. You're like scared. You're like on the journey to the end. You need those because those are the times that you learn so much about yourself that when you're prepared for that next challenge, you're not afraid. And so I'm on that next challenge or that next ride. And nothing's going to stop me because I have that mindset that I've learned about myself and have become better. And I think those two moments stick out because if I didn't make those changes, I think after the high school time, I think it probably would have been maybe a different outcome to where I am today. But I think there's been so many of those moments, like the phone call with at work, um, even the times where I don't know where I'm at. 
each of those times build builds up so much that it's like Alex, you have to make the change. And I have the greatest support system and people to connect and network with that I know I'm not alone when it comes to that. And that's what makes it so special about the diabetic community is for us, we're in completely two different countries, but we support each other no matter what. Everyone that I talk to, we support each other because we want to see the best of the best, the best of our abilities to be able to achieve anything that we want. I'm really happy you shared that because I want people to not have to wait for standout moments like that. Yes. And you know that now, obviously, from your experience that the changes that you have made with your your diet and your lifestyle and your fitness and your exercise have been unbelievable. To go from an A1C of 13 down to 7, yes. lose 50 pounds in two years is phenomenal. And I think the biggest thing I take from that is don't wait for something to happen for you to look after your diabetes. Because yep. I speak to people all the time who are you know, 30 years, 20 years, 10 years diagnosed. And sometimes they keep putting it off. Yep. And I I really want everybody to, and look, it's not easy. You know, we both know firsthand it's right, not easy yeah. to manage it. It's a, da- it's a daily struggle, as they say. But I don't want people to have to wait for something to happen for them to think, I need to, I need to look after this. Because... We want to avoid those things in the first place. So following on from that, Alex, my question to you would be, what exactly did you do to make such a significant change? I think the biggest thing for me, I'm a foodie guy. I think that's the hard part. Like I watch the Food Network too much. So <laughs> I am I love to cook and stuff. And I used to be that person that I, I will say this. I haven't had fast food like McDonald's, Taco Bell, Burger King, things like that, since March of 2021. So I've gone almost a whole year without eating fast food. And that was hard because, you know, work schedule, you're like, oh, I want something quick. But I knew that if I was going to make this fitness change and things like that, I had to start somewhere. And I always give credit to a diabetic out there. Uh, His name is Chris Rudin. I think I said his name right. Yeah, we've Um, had him on the podcast. He, I joined his monthly, I don't know what he calls it, September Fit Challenge. And it was where that you had to do like a calorie deficit and things like that. So you would tell him what your goals are and things like that. And you would submit it to him and his, um, uh, admins and they would basically the my fitness pal they would make sure that everything was right that was the first start of my journey and when i look at that and then i then i look at what i ate i'm like wow i was mm. so off because you can go to a mcdonald's and you're eating like 2000 calories in one meal and it's just crazy but i knew that i can still have the same stuff and that was the hard mindset that i had like you could have the same stuff you just have to tweak some stuff. So like if I had a burger, um, I will even share this right now with everyone. When my mom and I, we love going to like local restaurants. And so if we get a burger, we don't eat 
both buns. So because that's carbs, bread and stuff. So we at least still have that taste of a burger, but we're just changing what we eat. We kind of go that healthy way. And so I was changing up like I love steaks, chicken, burgers, pork. So I'm making all these protein meals. I love salads and veggie salads. I'm making that. I do a small carb starch on the side. And as I'm changing my diet, I'm like, wow, I'm full, but I'm enjoying what I'm making. And so after that challenge, I kept it going. And then I hit a block in the wall or a roadblock, basically. I'm like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. And so I went back to my old ways and the weight just gained right back. Then I moved, came back to my hometown um, for a job, and I'm like, I have to change. I got to stick with it. And my show is all about rising to the challenge. We're all that phoenix inside us. And I have been a phoenix during this journey. And seeing my weight loss of 50 pounds, I, I want to keep going. Like, it's been the best experience. I tell my family, I'm like, Look at what I'm eating, and I'm still doing this. Like, you can make uh, stuffed chicken breasts with low-calorie items. You can make all this stuff, and you can be rewarded and feel rewarded in that because it's all that mindset. And especially with diabetics, we're always told, and oh, and you're probably told this, you, oh, you can't have this. Oh, you can't eat this, <laughs> and things like okay. that. And I love my family. But I tell them, I go, you don't have to change what you eat because of me. I can change. Like my grandparents love making pasta. I love pasta. But I eat mostly the meat and some pasta, but I still enjoy it. I'm not going to say I'm not going to eat it because, oh, I'm a diabetic. But I'm not going to eat that chocolate cake because that's just not me. <laughs> hmm. And so I always say I, I'm the person that can adapt don't adapt for me um, because I want to be in control of what I'm going to eat, not be the person that's getting controlled, if that makes sense. It does absolutely make sense. And it's reminiscent of the the kind of idea I have in terms of how I treat my lifestyle and the food that I eat and the things that I do around my diabetes. And it's like, I try to keep the experience the same while still prioritize my blood sugar. And what yes. I mean by that is like, I could go out for dinner or I could get a takeaway at home or whatever it is. And I can keep the experience of that the same by going out for dinner with my friends and my family or going on a night out. But the decisions that I make around the food that I eat can have a significant impact on my bloods. So the experience of me going out for dinner and having a chocolate cake it's not it's not the worst thing to do obviously not but the, the point i'm trying to make is if i have that chocolate cake i can't carb count i don't know how much insulin i need potentially yep. that can ruin my night's sleep if i'm constantly high or constantly low so i say if i keep the experience the same of being in the restaurant with the people around me drinking wine having food whatever it is but the simple decisions and adjustments we can make to the food that we eat can have a massive benefit on our blood sugar that same day. 
Well, it's also that, like, I always tell if anyone's that diabetic listening to this, and you have that sweet tooth, and we kind of mentioned it, both of us, saying, oh, that chocolate cake. I always buy the mini Oreos or, like, the small bag of M&Ms, and I'll have one, one of them, and I get satisfied. But I know that one M&M or that one (laughs) mini Oreo is not going to do so much craziness to my blood sugar, but I'm still getting that satisfaction. And I think it's more, and I I love your posts when you post about food, because I look at your meals and I'm like, that's how much I eat in one day. And you're just having (laughs) that in one meal, like the amount. But I look at it and I'm thinking, but that, and that's another thing that I love about the diabetic community is we're not people that tells other people, this is how you have to do it. You have to copy it. And you have been so good about that where you take that person's lifestyle and you adapt to it. You're not telling them, oh, they have to be exactly how you are. And that's what I think is so special about our community is we're adapting and sharing advice with each other to make it work with how our lifestyle is. Because your and I's lifestyles are completely different. But we're able to take the same concepts and utilize it in two different ways, but with the same outcome. Yeah, I think the idea of the only way that you can manage your blood sugar is cutting out carbohydrate is just completely outdated. Because yes, to a certain extent, that's true. Because inevitably, if you reduce carbohydrate, your blood sugar is just going to be easier to manage. But that's not going to work for somebody who really enjoys eating carbohydrate, like myself, for example. Guilty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know that that's not going to work for me because I am going to be diabetic likely for the rest of my life. So yep. I can't commit to a little to no carbohydrate diet because I'm just not going to do it. But the important thing to remember is Everything that we do and everything that we eat, we can still adjust our management around it to manage it. Yes. Not so that we, we're not super restrictive with what we do and what we eat just to manage our diabetes. I will all, I've always and I will always come at it from the point where you need to build your diabetes management into your lifestyle, into what you want to do, into what you want to eat, rather than building your lifestyle specifically into your blood sugar. Especially for that, um, it's a, it's, I almost look at it like a science experiment. You're going to have to do some test trials with stuff. And especially for me, when I'm changing jobs or changing like schedules, I have to rearrange to make sure that I'm able to do everything I want and make it work. And especially with the fitness part for me, um, I always when I'm done working, I always go right into fitness and I do like a three to five mile bike ride. And I know that if I don't eat, when I first did that, I would not, I would go right into dinner and things like that. But if I didn't take like a protein drink or a protein bar right after it, my blood sugars were all over the place throughout Mm -hmm. the night because my body is trying to react and then you're putting dinner on top of it. And then if I went and worked out late at night, that, and we talked about earlier about my mental state in the morning. A lot of the times, if I worked out late at night, I have those low blood sugars going into the morning, or I don't know where I'm at and things like that. 
So I had to adapt and and change things. So if I did a late night workout, I had to eat carbs. I would stay up a little bit longer to make sure when I went to bed, my blood sugar was stable and consistent throughout the night. And it worked. Sometimes it it's off, but sometimes it works. And I don't want diabetics out here thinking, oh, you, it's going to be exactly how you plan it. It's not going to be. But when you try things and you test things out, you become stronger and you kind of be more aware of what's going on so that in the future, you're prepared and ready to go. And we we were talking, I am that rebellious diabetic, but I can't be rebellious anymore. I have to try and make sure it works because there's a bigger outcome that could be more severe if I'm not prepared and be able to account for it. What I always think about and again, from my own perspective, is a lot of the frustration around your diabetes management and your highs and your lows and like that constant chase towards trying to have perfect management. I think the frustration of that comes from the idea that it's possible to have perfect diabetes management. Yes. And I think one of the most important parts of your diabetes management for anybody living with type 1 diabetes is understanding that it will never be perfect. Correct. Because if we are constantly working towards a flat line every day, no highs, no lows, we're never going to be happy. We're never going to feel relaxed in any way with our management. Yep. And so much, and look, Alex, me and you know, diabetes is as much an emotional and a mental condition as it is a yes. physical one. Yep. And so much of us managing it day to day is simply accepting the fact that it's never going to be perfect. Like, again, from my own perspective, I am somebody who works very hard for my diabetes management because it's essentially, it's my job to, to a certain yes. extent. <laughs> But even, even with that, I have highs and lows too. Of course I do. But accepting that there will be highs and lows is, in my opinion, one of the most important aspects of managing your diabetes, full stop. I think especially for that, um, when you're a diabetic influencer and things like that, if you're showcasing your highs and lows, I think... For if I was like, if I didn't know you at the time and I look at that and I'm think, I'm looking at your post and I see that you have highs and lows and you're so open about it, to me that connects with you more because mm. you have that similar struggle in a way. But if we have these diabetic influencers that are showing they're perfect all the time and they're showcasing that mentality, for us, it's like, well, what am I doing wrong? What's going mm. on with me? Why can't I be perfect? But I used to be, when I was younger, high blood sugar used to be my challenge. I was always high, things like that. As I've gotten older, it's been the complete opposite where it's low blood sugar. And I, I want to, I started with, I had the pump a couple years ago and the cannulas in it broke in my body. So Basically, all the insulin was blocked. Nothing was going into my body, but I didn't know this. 
all of a sudden I um, collapsed right behind a customer service desk um, at work and no one knew where I was, but I was under below the desk and I had to take like time to get glucose tablets or check my blood sugar because I'm like, what's going on and things like that. And so I I went off the pump for a couple years and then I go back to the high blood sugar stage and things like that. And then I'm back on the pump again and go back to the low. So when I hear about like if you're going high and things like that, to me, I connect more. And I like when those influencers kind of share that because we're all going through that. We all need to be open and vulnerable in these stage because we can't say we're perfect. If someone's 100% perfect, I need to steal their pancreas or something because I want that. But it goes right back to what you said. They're not feeling relaxed because they're stressed so much to be perfect. And we can't live that way. We want to be able to enjoy our time on vacation. Or if we go to, um, I know those festivals are a big thing in Europe. Um, those kind of thing. Matt was yeah. telling me about it. Yeah, <laughs> I know he's going to be going there soon. So, um, but those, we want to be able to enjoy those times and not have to be stressed. But if we're able to manage it, it makes it worthwhile. Or, um, man, I can't speak today. Um, it's that low blood sugar, Alex. Yeah, the low <laughs> blood sugar is coming back, people. No, yeah. I'm kidding. Um, it makes it worth it. Because when I was on vacation um, at the beach, I didn't... I was living my life, eating well, but I wasn't so stressed out because I'd been managing it so much that it just incorporated into that vacation and I enjoyed it and I didn't have no problems for that week. Knock on wood, next vacation still goes like that. So I'm putting it out there. Anybody who lives with type 1 diabetes who says that they have perfect blood sugar all the time is a liar. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, that's that's just a fact. There is nobody on this planet that has type 1 diabetes who does not have highs and who does not have lows. If anybody says that to you, stop listening to them because they're a liar. You okay? need to give them their number <laughs> yeah. and we're yeah. going to challenge them. I'm kidding. We're not going to. But no, I totally agree with that. That was part one of my chat with Alex. As you know, if you are listening on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow but if you are listening on any other day part two is going to be the next episode on our list so enjoy part two and thanks for listening to part one